That was a great night, and uh, great to even see it recapped and uh, rejoice in what the Lord has done and what He is doing. I uh, have to tell you also, it's good to be back in the pulpit. I've had a couple weeks of working on other projects, and uh, it's good to get back into the swing of what I primarily enjoy doing and to be here with you opening God's Word. I also want to thank uh, some of the men that uh, filled the pulpit and did the teaching, some very exceptional teachers. So I'd like to thank Jeff, Tony, Brad, and Mike for their ministry of the Word to our church over the last few weeks. Besides uh, working on these projects, I also spent a week at Woodlands Camp in North Georgia. This was my 13th summer of uh, speaking at that camp, and it's, a, it's great to see what God's doing at that camp and be part of that uh, ministry. I also uh, have enjoyed uh, being a daddy, and I thought I'd give you just a very quick update on how that's going. Uh, in, case, uh, in case you didn't know, we had our, our first child, a daughter, on June 6th. And so for the last eight weeks, she's eight weeks old now, uh, we've largely been in survival mode, which those of you that have been a parent of an of a infant, you know what that is like, and that's been... That's been what we've been doing is trying to survive. She is already growing. She's changing. And that kind of makes us sad because we like her just the way that she is. But this is inevitable, isn't it? This is what happens. You feed them, they get bigger. And uh, so we are very thankful for, uh, for her and for God's grace to us. We're also very thankful for our church family. So many of you have been so kind and I uh, have uh, graced us with meals and prayers and notes and gifts and all these things. We're just so very thankful for uh, your celebration with us of, uh, of God's goodness to us. So thank you very much. We are in the home stretch of our study of First John. We are in chapter 5, beginning the last chapter of this letter. John continues in chapter 5 to do what he set out to do uh, at the beginning of the letter. Namely, to speak to these very discouraged uh, and, and I think confused Christians who have gone through this very difficult experience, this church split, uh, in which some people that claimed to be Christians were not acting at all like they were, divided the church, uh, left the church, and did great damage in the church, leaving those that were there wondering, uh, what does it mean to be saved? Because these people have clearly not been acting in a manner that we would seem to think this is what Christianity looks like. Uh, are they under the grace of God? Are we under the grace of God? How can we know if we are Christians or not? I'd like to make an observation. This is just purely a pastoral observation. Uh, over the years, as I've had the opportunity to talk to many people and went through the same struggle myself, by the way, as I've shared with you, seeking assurance of my salvation. How can I know that I am saved or not? And I, my observation is this, is that there are some people that are circumspect about their status before God. And whenever you talk about how can you know whether you're saved or not, this creates... Uh, anxiety in them, and they 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 look deeply into their heart, and they ask questions, you know, like, "Am I am I saved or not? Am, 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 have I have I believed or not?" And they 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 worry, they're concerned. They, this is a subject of great interest to them. 
I am far less concerned about that group than I am the other group that also dominates churches and no doubt is very present uh, present in ours as well, which are people who can hear messages on assurance of salvation. They can read 1 John. They, they, uh, they say to themselves, well, that was kind of interesting. They leave the church service. They go home. They get about to their hobbies and their interests. And they get into their week. And they don't pay any attention at all. They ask no questions about their own soul, whether or not they actually are under the grace of God. That's the group that primarily concerns me because you cannot even suggest to them that they ought to, that they may not be saved or that they ought to even ask the question if they are or not. And they'll quickly say to you, well, you you don't even need to ask me, Pastor Steve, because I, you know, I had this thing that happened back when I was six years old and I went to camp myself. I went to camp. So I know it's 50 years ago. But don't even suggest to me that I need to even ask the question whether or not I am evidencing genuine fruit in my life. And this is the group that concerns me. I have even during this series, I have had opportunity to talk to people who are fully convinced that they're Christians and yet their attitudes and their actions and their obedience is diametrically opposed to what somebody that claims to be a Christian, what you would expect to see in their life. There's no love. They're harsh. They're hard. They're hateful. uh, And yet they're convinced that they're saved. This is the group that I am concerned about and, and pastorally in the church that I'm concerned about because I, I want all of us in heaven. I want every single one of us, when we die, to experience eternal life. And the, the danger in being convinced that you're saved and you are not is that you will never ask the questions that might actually allow you to be saved before you die. And there is huge swaths of evangelical Christians who are depending on something other than Jesus for their salvation. And I don't want that to be you, friend. I don't. I want you to be saved. And I want you to know that you are saved. But know for the right reasons, not the wrong ones. That's why John wrote the letter. Key verse. Chapter chapter 5. Write these things to you so that you may know that you have eternal life. So this is a book that is guiding us into... Sure knowledge of salvation, but that knowledge based on biblical evidences, not on man-made, experiential, whatever. Okay, so with that said, I, uh, I'd like for us to get into our text today. And our text is chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Here's what it says. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know that the children, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? 
May God bless His Word to us today. So we see here John essentially doing what he's done throughout the letter. He is pointing to the same three categories of evidences of genuine salvation. Right belief, right living, and right loving. And he has just revolved his whole letter around those three uh, uh, main points. He says it a lot of different ways, but those are the main things that he's saying. And he does that here. Now, it seems to me that in order to understand what John is saying here, we have to understand the difference between new birth and new life, or to understand the connection between new birth and new life. One is the cause, one is the effect, one is the root, one is the fruit. One creates life, the other evidences spiritual life. So what John does here is he writes over and over again about new life, or what he calls here being born of him or born of God. You see that even in this little passage here. He does it three times in five verses. In verse 1, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Again, verse 1, everyone who loves the Father has been born of him. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And so we see this theme of birth, born, He's done it throughout the letter. A few other examples. Chapter 3, verse 9. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. Chapter 4, verse 7. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And so this is how he develops this theme. Born of God means that we are children of God. Which he also says in this letter repeatedly. Famously, chapter 3, verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has lavished on us. Or if you know the old King James, behold what manner of love uh, the Father has lavished on us, that we would be called children of God. And so we have this whole birth, born, children theme here that is a very effective word picture for what God does in salvation. And I think it's effective because we can all relate to it. Pretty much everybody here, I think, was born. Let's just test that. Anybody here not born? Anybody here not have a birthday? Okay, I've proved my point. We can all relate to this, can't we? What it means to be born physically. What John is getting at here and what the New Testament talks uh, at great length about is not so much what it means to be born physically or to be born once, but what it means to be born twice. This is what Jesus said to Nicodemus in John 3. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Here's what the Son of God says. If you are not born twice, you're not saved. You will not see the kingdom of God. So everyone's born once. The question is, are we born twice? And that second birth, the Bible describes as new birth. Or uses the, the, this word, regeneration. Regeneration. Now why do we have to be born again in order to be saved? In order to have experience, uh, experience eternal life? And the simple answer is because of sin and death. The bigger answer is this. That God created Adam and Eve. Made them and through them us in His image. 
And part of that image bearing of a spiritual God is that he placed within us a spiritual dimension to our nature. This is what separates us from uh, the, the animals and the birds and the plants. We are spiritual. We have this sense, this longing, this desire to connect with something or somebody that is transcendent to us, that is greater than us. Adam and Eve had that. And God placed that capacity and those desires within them so that they could fellowship with Him. And so pre-fall, Adam and Eve, there was joy and delight in God. And God, joy and delight in them, in them. There was communication. There was communion. There was fellowship with God. They were spiritually alive. And they were able in that spiritual aliveness to worship and to know and to have relationship with a God who is Himself Spirit. Now when Adam and Eve sinned, that death impacted that spiritual part of their nature. That aspect of them that was alive to God, loving God, delighting in God, wanting to do God's will, died. Now they were still spiritual. Which is why you can go anywhere in the world, the Eskimos, the Aborigines, anybody, all humanity is worshiping something or someone. We are still spiritual. We have that Nature, But in terms of that nature being alive to God, it's dead. We are born in sin. We are born in our trespasses. Spiritually, we are all stillborn. It's one way to look at it. So in order for us to have a relationship with a spiritual God, somehow this spiritual nature has to go from being dead to being alive. And that is what the Bible says that God does in salvation. He takes that spiritual dead nature that we have within us and it is nothing short of a revolution. It is a resurrection where God, by power that He alone has, reaches down into our nature and makes that spiritual dead person alive. It's like what Jesus did to Lazarus. Lazarus, come forth. And when I became a Christian, Steve, spiritually, come forth. And Kelly, spiritually, come forth. And die spiritually, come forth. We were dead, and now we are alive in a power and an act that only God can do. And this is what creates then new life. Spiritual new birth creates spiritual new life. I am a new person. I have a new nature. I'm, I'm a new man. There was an old man, and now there's a new man. The old nature was dead. The new nature is alive unto God. It is a new birth. It's a new creation. It is spiritual life. It is life without end. It is the life of God within the heart of the sinner that is sustained by the very life and power of God. The Bible calls it eternal life. We often mistake it to think, well, that's what I get when I die. When I die, all of a sudden I have spiritual life. No! If you are a Christian, the moment that you were regenerated, God gave you life. And because it is His life, and He is eternal, it is eternal life. If you are a Christian, right now you have that animated, uh, eternally, divinely generated life within you. That when your physical body dies, because it will die, 
That you, that spiritual you, will go on forever. It is eternal life. It is a gift of God. All of this life flowing from new birth. Here's how Titus 3 describes it. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration, there's the word, and renewal by the Holy Spirit. So this is then, this is genuine salvation. This is not the pretend kind. This is not the masquerading. This is not the religious ritual kind where I go through the motions, outward conformity. God does not begin with outward conformity. He begins with our hearts. He changes us from the inside out. It is the recreation of Adam and Eve's delight and aliveness towards God pre-fall. He creates that. He recreates that through new birth in all of His children. And with that comes an entirely new set of desires, new set of affections, a new, a new direction in my life, a new Lord, a new Savior, a new hero, a new prototype, a new archetype, a new, a new, a new uh, commander-in-chief, a new king, a new Lord. It's Christ. And it is a revolutionary, radical transformation. Now, it's inside so that you can't look and say, well, he's got it and she doesn't and he does and she doesn't. Not to say all the men do and the women don't, but that's just the way it came out of my mouth. Uh, but you can't, in other words, you can't, it's not like there's a halo glow, you know, like the, the paintings of Jesus in, the, in years gone by. They'd always put the halo over him. Here now is the Messiah. Uh, no, it's an internal spiritual revolution of the heart. Now the question is, well, how do I have this revolution? How does it come to me personally? And this passage tells us the means by which it comes to us. It's verse 4. Faith. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. Faith, then, is the midwife, if you want to say it this way, in the new birth. Faith is the conduit between God's grace offered to all humanity and God's grace experienced by the individual sinner. So that I, in my trusting and believing in Jesus, now there is the means by which that salvation comes to me. Now I believe the faith is a gift from God, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. So God not only makes us alive through regeneration, but He gives us the faith in order to believe. That's what I think. So that all of it is for His glory and no man can boast. But the individual sinner doesn't understand how all of that is working. All they know is, I believe that Jesus is my Savior and I'm putting my trust in Him. That's all they know. And that's all they need to know. That's all they need to know. So that they have now believed in Jesus. And they are now experiencing life. They have been born again. They have new birth. They are a new creation. And they are now living out this life, this new life in Christ. So therein is the link. And if, to understand what John is saying here, you have to realize 
What is the root and what is the fruit? The link is that new birth creates then in the sinner new life. And all that John has done in this letter is focus on what does new life look like? What does it look like when a person is actually saved, if I can say it that way, but here, born again? Born again, what does it look like? And he he does it again in this passage. Notice what he says. New life looks like this. Verse 1, they are believing that Jesus is the Christ. In verse 5, they are believing that Jesus is the Son of God. In verse 1 again, they love God the Father. In verse 2, they love their fellow Christians. In verse 2 and 3, they obey God's commands. And verse 4 and 5, they overcome the world. And there we have those same themes. A right belief, a right living, and a right loving. So how do we know who has been spiritually born again and who isn't? And here's where I think that so many people have missed this biblically, and there's so many people that are confused on this, because you ask them, hey, are are, are you saved? Or how do you know that you're saved? And they go immediately back to, well, there was this experience that I had when I was at such and such a thing. And they point back to this time in the past when they had something happen to them. Now, I want you to know, I believe that God can and often does work that way, where there can be a decisive moment when all of a sudden the Spirit of God transforms and they were this way and now they're this way. I've seen that at our church. I've seen that at camps, Woodlands and others, where people just all of a sudden God saves them and they are radically transformed by that. No doubt that story here in this room. So I believe that that definitely can happen. However, here's the thing we have to realize. The genuineness of those moments is proved over time. So that not everybody that says, I'm a Christian, because I said it one time in my life, I'm a Christian, means that they actually are. How do you know if somebody is a Christian or not? Because they say that they are. John says, no, new birth creates new life. Look for signs of life. If there are signs of life, it means that there was birth. Even the baptism, we showed the video here. 66 people baptized last weekend. Is every one of them saved without a doubt because they were baptized at the Lake Baptism of Bethel Church? Our church is the one exception of that. If you get baptized here, you're for sure going to heaven. (laughs) Obviously, the answer is no. I've baptized so many people here over the years that that today have no care or concern for God. If they came up to me and say, am I going to heaven because I was baptized at Bethel Church? I'd say, look at your life. And obviously the answer is no. You are not following Jesus. And that's what John is saying. Life reveals birth. Is there life? Are there genuine evidences of life? Now, one of John's categories here that I think is, can be confusing is obedience. And he highlights it here again, uh, uh, verse 3, for this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. And we've talked about this, and this can be uh, helpful and it can be hurtful, I think. If we... Look at that and say, wow, I've got to do it perfectly. 
or I'm not saved. And we all leave here discouraged because none of us does it perfectly, right? But all of us that are genuine Christians would sure like to do it perfectly, wouldn't we? And that is why we've talked about how obedience is a long walk in the same direction. And you may recall, and I just will highlight this illustration again because I think it was effective and it, it keeps coming up and I don't mind that. We talked about, it's, it's very similar to somebody who is in Northwest Indiana and they say, I'm going to walk to Ohio. I'm an Ohio walker. I'm an East hiking Ohio walker. This is where I'm going. I'm going to Ohio. You say, well, that's great. It's kind of that direction over there. Actually, technically, that would be south. Some of you right now are going, wait a second, Pastor Steve. Okay, it's, it's, it's actually that way, all right? But those of you watching online have no bearing on what direction it's pointing, so just play along with that. But it's this way. I'm an Ohio walker. Go that direction. And off the Ohio walker goes. And they've got a map and they're trying to find it. But as they walk, they, they take a misstep here. And they, they kind of go off in a little direction there. They end up down in you know P- Peru or something. you know, and, and then they, oh, wait a second, I've gotten off the path. But they're generally walking towards Ohio. What do you say about somebody who says, I'm an Ohio walker, I'm heading east from northwest Indiana... And you find them in Iowa. You go up to them and say, what are you doing? You say, I'm walking. They say, I'm walking to Ohio. I'm an Ohio walker. I'm an Ohio hiker. You say, well, this isn't Ohio. This is Iowa. What are you doing in Iowa if you're an Ohio walker? Don't confuse me with the facts. I am an Ohio walker. No, you're not. You're supposed to be going east and you're going west. You can say all you want that you're an Ohio east walking hiker. But your life and direction is showing that you're going the opposite direction. You're not an Ohio walker. You're an Iowa walker. We heard these kind of testimonies at the Lake Michigan, or not Lake Michigan, but the Lake Baptism last weekend. I was walking west, but then I met Jesus. And spiritually now, I'm going east. And we cheer that. And we rejoice in that. I was this way and now I'm that way. I wanted to do this, this, and this in my life. Uh, These were my priorities. But I've come to faith in Jesus and now my priorities are this way. So ask yourself uh, right now, are you in Ohio? Are you walking towards Ohio? Or are you walking towards Iowa? Spiritually. New birth creates new life, new affections, new directions, new desires to obey God. That's what John says. You will love the Father and you will want to keep His commands. And you will keep His commands. So all the evidences of genuine salvation have to do with the ongoing spiritual life being lived out. And that's what I think is so wrong with the kind of assurance that focuses in on whatever thing happened in the past. You got to know the date. You got to know the date. If you don't know the date, you're not saved. No, that's not what John says. Can you pull up a date where you make a commitment? That's not what he says. He says, look at your life. If I could use the analogy... This is what's wrong with seeking assurance by asking the question, did you start hiking towards Ohio? Did you just start? As long as you start, it's all, it's all that matters. 
Or have you ever come to the point where you believed that you were an Ohio hiker? As long as you had a point in your life where you believed it, that's all that matters. Did you ever claim to be a hiker at all? Were you ever a member of a hiking club? Did you ever give money to the hiking club? There you go, you must be a hiker. John says, it's not if you claim to be a hiker that makes you a hiker, but if you actually hike. And you hike the right direction. Believing core hiking doctrines. And while you go, you love your fellow hikers. Now that's a hiker. And that's a Christian. So again, what do we say to the person who's convinced they're in Ohio, but they're standing in Iowa? And you see the danger of false assurance of salvation. If I am falsely assured of salvation and am not actually a Christian, I will not contemplate my spiritual status before God. And hell is a very hard wake-up call to the fact that you can be convinced you are saved and are not. New birth creates new life. And new life evidences itself in biblical categories that God intends to be reassuring to us. Are we evaluating our spiritual condition by the right categories? Now John says something here I also want to highlight. There's a wonderful little verse tucked away in verse 4. And he makes the point that new life overcomes the world or conquers the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. The Greek word there, you sports fans, we like this word, Nike is the word. So literally the verse says this, and this is the Nike that has Nike'd the world. This is the victory. This is the winning. This is how we have overcome the world. And don't think of the world like Alexander the Great thought of the world geography. You know, he, he wept because there were no more kingdoms to conquer. It's not, we're not conquering the world, uh, you know, arming his soldiers and going out and, you know, claiming Canada or something militarily. It's not that kind of overcoming. It is the world as an entire philosophy set against God. It is the world as a value set. It is the world as a whole way of thinking as we see in the world Friends, neighbors, humanity trying to find meaning and purpose in life apart from God and apart from a relationship with God. They try to, they try to find significance in material things. The material world, this natural world, this is all that there is. I got one life to live. I'm going to get the most of it that I can. And in the getting of the most of it I can, I hope that I have meaning and purpose in life. And what is the story? Over and over we see it doesn't work, does it? We're not made to find meaning in this world. And that's why there is despair and hopelessness and, and obsessive selfishness in this world. An insatiable lust for more and more and more and more and more. Never satisfied. Image bearers can't be satisfied with anything but God. 
And so we have here then John saying that we overcome the world in the sense that we overcome the despair of the world. We overcome the hopelessness of the world. We overcome the value set of the world. We don't live that way and we're glad that we don't have to live that way. Why? Because we have found meaning and purpose in God. We have found God through His Son, Jesus. We have the Holy Spirit within us. We are living eternal life right now. We have a new attitude, new directions, new, 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 not the old. It's new. And this faith has brought us the victory. So the question then that John would ask, I think if John was preaching this sermon, he would stand before you and saying, friends, are you evidencing genuine signs of new birth? New life. Even from this text, to ask questions like this. Do I believe that Jesus is the Christ? Do you? Do you believe that He is the Son of God? That's verse 1 and verse 5. From verse 2, are are there real indications of sacrificial love for your fellow Christians? From verse 3, Am I faithfully prioritizing God's will in moral decisions in my life? From verse 4, is the world controlling and shaping my life? Or is the will of God controlling and shaping my life? Am I seeing victory over a worldly perspective and life? And what we find then by asking questions like this, is it forces us to seek assurance from biblical categories. Not from these man-made ones. Are there signs of life? Now, I have to confess to you that I... uh, It's hard for me right now not to use my daughter as a sermon illustration. Because our life is so much revolving around her right now. And so I have great temptation... Uh, to, to do so, which I resist most of the time, but I am succumbing to the temptation in this message. If you didn't know, I got married when I was 44, had a daughter when I was 45. I've had a long time to sort of get excited and ready for all that this means. And uh, Jennifer and I, we, in, in the whole pregnancy thing, I mean, we were like, hey, let's do it right. Let's just enjoy this and let's make sure that we take care of her. And I've shared already some things that we did, just getting our legal stuff all together. And during the pregnancy, we, we began to get ready for her by getting things ready for her. So we got the, the nursery together and it's painted and it's very, you know, pink and pretty. And it's got all the things that everything a little girl could want, even though we have, we know she has no idea the color of the room that she's in and probably could care less, but uh, we did it anyway. And so we got the crib and we got just the right crib and changing table. And we, you know, we got stocked up with supplies for wipes and diapers and all these different things. And so uh, there's all this equipment that you, you know, have to get. And we, I mean, I'm like, what's Consumer Reports say about the very best stroller that's out there, you know? And I'm studying online, you know, reading all the, the comments that people make about this particular product. And so we got just the right stroller and just the right car seat. And uh, I mean, I could go on with all the <clears throat> accessories this girl has. But one of the things that we uh, were very interested in is how are we going to keep eyes on this girl? How are we going to keep eyes on this girl, especially at night? Now, some of you that haven't parented in the last few decades, you may not be aware that 
There's an entire industry now of parental electronic surveillance. (laughs) And I have stepped into that world and we carefully researched and thought about what we could get and what we wanted. And so I, uh, I've, I've brought here today a few of the uh, surveillance devices that we have incorporated in our parenting. This is an angel care monitor. Now, this is a pretty slick little deal. You see that it's, it's super thin, right? And what this does is you, you put this under the mattress, okay? You put this under the mattress, and it has sensors in it. And these sensors tell you if there ever is, uh, if there ever is no, no movement. Okay, if there's 10 seconds of no movement, an alarm sounds. All right? And this thing's amazing. It's under a mattress about this thick. And it can sense, obviously, the kicks and the wiggles and all that. That's easy. But just breathing, just her breathing, it can sense that. So if you ever go 10 seconds without something going on there, off the alarm goes, it sends a signal to a remote that we have, and we know something's wrong, right? And we can rush in and, and save the day. Now, as cool as that is, this is the coolest, in my opinion. This and this are uh, audio and video monitoring system. This is Motorola. Uh, Shout out to the Motorola engineers because you got it right with this one. Uh, And the way that this works is you mount this over uh, the crib, okay? And this uh, camera... It, it's, a, it's a camera. It's also an, an audio monitor. So whatever noise is going on in that room, it comes through on this little device right here. This thing is slick. It monitors the temperature in the room. I can push a button and talk to her through this little monitor. I can push another button. It plays music. 2.4 gigahertz, this bad boy is, all right? I've tested it out. I can go a block in all directions and still have full monitoring of, uh, of her. Now, the coolest thing of all of this is the video monitor. And it, 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 in, in daylight or decent light, it's full color on the screen. You can, you can push buttons and pan left and right, up and down, and just check everything out, all that you want. But what's really awesome is when you turn the lights out at night, it has full infrared night vision. And so all night long, we have we have infrared SEAL Team 6 electronic surveillance that's going on (laughs) through the baby monitor. We're keeping an eye on this little girl. So just to recap, we have movement monitoring, we have temperature monitoring, we have audio monitoring, we have daytime video monitoring, and we have nighttime infrared monitoring. This girl is being monitored, is what I want to say. Now, what are all of these devices, what are they looking for? They are looking for life, right? Signs of life. A wiggle. A thrash. 
a sound, video movement. All of these are indications of life. And spiritually, what John is basically saying is, in your spiritual walk, get a monitor under you and make sure there's some spiritual movement. And get a monitor over you and make sure that there are the sounds of spiritual life. And have a video monitor and make sure that you there are evidences that you are actually alive. Because you can say that you have a birthday and you can claim that you were born, but unless you are alive spiritually, and those are evidences in these categories, your claims are spurious and you need to look in your heart and make sure that you actually have eternal life. Lest you end up in eternity with a hellish wake-up call. And that's why I sort of feel like saying, why do you risk it? Some of you will spend way more time thinking about the Cubs, the White Sox, and your yard than you ever will whether or not you are actually under the grace of God and heading for an eternity of eternal life. Why risk it? Why not go home, get out a piece of paper and say, am I a Christian? Obedience, faith, love. What are the evidences that these are actually going on in my life? You say, well, what if I don't actually see too much movement or hear many spiritual sounds? Repent and believe in Jesus And the God who makes us alive will make you alive. And then, by the power of God, not yours, you will have a new direction in your life. And there will come, by the Holy Spirit, signs of life. This is of God. This is not a man thing. This is a God thing. Faith is the conduit. Believe. Believe and be saved. This week, uh, I think it was Wednesday night, 2.30 a.m., we're sleeping away. (coughs) Comes the alarm. (laughs) It's always reassuring when at least one person is listening. The alarm goes off. In like 0.01 seconds, I am out of bed and I am rushing. You know, it's, it's kind of it's like that chariots of fire run. I'm rushing to the bedroom, wondering what I'm going to find. Rush through the door, get up to the edge of the crib, and there she is. How reassuring it is when you see signs of life. And that's what John is wanting for us, is that reassurance as we see real evidences of life. And if there is life, 
it means that there is new birth because new birth creates new life. So why don't we just bow our heads right now and can we have a moment of personal monitoring. If I can ask you, right from Scripture, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Do you? Do you, do you believe that He is the Savior of the world? Do you see in your life love? Horizontal love towards others? Do you find yourself walking towards Ohio? Or are you resolutely going contrary to the will of God and heading towards Iowa? What direction is your life?